Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School, Oxford University, and Kantar, the data insights and consulting company. In each episode, we speak to industry leaders about the big issues in marketing, sharing evidence and inspiration for the future. I'm Jane Osler, Global Head of Media, Insights Division of Kantar. I'm f- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Olipe Tomas, professor of marketing at Said Business School. Our guest today is Nandini Jami. Uh, she was co-founder of Sleeping Giants and now runs a new consultancy called Check My Ads. So welcome, Nandini. And the first question I wanted to ask you really was about Sleeping Giants. Tell us your story there. What, what happened? What's, what's your background? I was working as a head of growth for a small tech startup uh, called Prodpad in 2016 where I was sort of in charge of everything. I was head of growth, but I was ahead of one, as in like I was the only person working on marketing at this company. So I became a generalist very quickly. And my job was to do everything from content to SEO to whatever we needed to do to grow. And one day my boss handed me a, a, an ad budget and said, you know, here's 3,000 pounds. Go see what you can get done with Google Ads. So I went in like a total noob, you know, I don't really know how Google ads works, but went in and, uh, you know, created a whole bunch of landing pages and PPC paid ad copy and all that stuff and launched a handful of campaigns. And because 3000 pounds seemed like an enormous amount of money to me at the time, I was really intent on knowing how my ads were performing and where they were appearing. And I was like, trying to be super in control of of my ads. And so one of the things that I did was I went into the back to look at my site placements. I was really curious to see if they were appearing on websites that I, you know, that I visit a lot like the New York Times or CNN or Slate or whatever. And I I just remember being really surprised to see that my ads were not appearing on any of those sites. They were appearing on like really weird sites that human beings don't visit. And and I remember seeing my my ad had appeared on Zero Hedge, which is a conspiracy theory website. And I just thought it was really odd. Like no one had ever mentioned this about Google ads to me, that they could appear on such weird sites. Like that was just not something that was in my consciousness before. So That was just something that I had in the back of my head when a couple months later, after the elections, the 2016 elections, I visited Breitbart.com for the first time. Breitbart is a 
propaganda site in the U.S. that is widely credited with helping Trump win the elections. And it had become incredibly influential um, during the elections. And, and they'd been putting out a whole lot of fake news, misinformation, super hateful rhetoric. So I remember when I went to the site for the first time, the first thing that I saw was not the headlines, which were shocking in and of themselves, but I saw an ad for Old Navy, which was a company that I, or a a brand that I shop with. And I just remember being like, like the first thing I thought to myself was, I don't think they know they're on there. Because from what I knew as a marketer, they had probably turned on their ads and just hadn't checked their site placements. So my first instinct was to let them know. (laughs) My first instinct was to just to to make that information available to them. So what I did was I ran and made a, uh, I wrote a Medium post about basically urging marketers to add Breitbart.com to their exclusion list. It was sort of like this aha moment that I had. I was like, well, if we all go in and block our ads from this website, they're not going to make money anymore. (laughs) So that's what I did. And I tweeted out, like, I tweeted at Old Navy and I was like, hey, are you guys aware you're on this website? Within a day, I met someone else who had the exact same idea and had already started tweeting under the handle Sleeping Giants. And we teamed up and we started to tweet at companies every single day. And it was incredible. Within the first couple of weeks, we gained hundreds and then thousands of followers who realized that all they had to do was take a screenshot, send it to a company, ask them why they're appearing on this, you know, racist website, and then they would receive an instant answer. So that's kind of how the campaign got started. What do you think it's the, aside from your reaction to those advertisements showing up on these websites, like what, what do you think is the consequence for a brand of being unsafe and why do they not pay attention where their ads get placed? Yeah, I think that until our campaign started, brands and marketers were not really aware of where their ads could be placed. Like me, for example, when I went into the back end and looked at my site placements, that was the first time I was hearing or, you know, thinking about the, the fact that my ads were going on, you know, conspiracy theory websites. So for most like normal people, we we aren't really thinking about the sort of extreme parts of the internet that our ads could be appearing on when we when we turn on our Google ads. If if advertisers start needing to take more notice of where their ads are appearing now, do you think that they need to be, have bigger teams? They have need to have more people dedicated to paying attention to this. Do you think it's because of lack of resource? Or do you think it's something that they didn't realize they needed to think about? Yeah, I would say that marketers in 2016, just just weren't aware of it. They just did not realize that websites like Breitbart, like they just didn't connect the dots that websites like Breitbart exist and that their ads are appearing on them. I mean, we all have a basic understanding in marketing of how advertising works. You know, you turn on your Google ads or your Facebook audience network, and then your ads could appear anywhere on the internet. It's just that these type of extremist websites are not they're not captured in any inclusion category. So for example, Google has exclusion categories like around gambling and violence and things like that, but they don't have a category for disinformation and hate. So even if you do 
understand and know that these type of websites exist, it's not very easy to um, to ensure that you stay off of them. So like from your view, and especially in your experience of running into a brand you know and like in an unsafe environment, what do you think is the impact to the brand of being co-located with content like that? So the impact was that, at least for marketers, that they knew that they had a really big problem on their hands and they needed to somehow compensate for it. From the perspective of consumers and social media users, what they wanted to see and what we spent a lot of time and effort to educate people on, especially in 2016 and in those early days, was that this is not their fault. Marketers are just not aware of their ads being placed here. We're very careful to to educate social media users uh, and our followers that we were not trying to boycott anybody. We're not trying to harass anybody. We're not trying to scream at them or make their lives harder. We just want brands to know and be aware of where their ads are appearing and then give them a chance to do the right thing. So for brands that responded quickly, it was a real win for them because they were able to sort of get out ahead of it, to assert their values to their, you know, to their customer base and to the public. And that actually ended up being sort of a net win. They would, you know, when, once they confirmed with us, we would, you know, we would amplify that and then people would, would thank them and give them sort of praise. If you didn't respond, you know, you didn't get any of those benefits. Does this speak to, do you think, Nandini, the difficulty in understanding how the digital marketplace works to the extent that it it is very complicated, it's very technical, there are so many different vendors involved between buying an ad and the ad appearing somewhere else. And there's been a lot of discussion recently about transparency in, in that supply chain. Is it very difficult for people to understand? Do you have to be an expert to understand it? Or do you think it's an advertiser's job to get to grips with all of the different variables that can feed into where your campaign appears? That's a really, really good question. And it's a complex one. Because on one hand, especially as as a marketer myself, I have a lot of empathy to other marketers. I know that we are busy, we have our hands full with more channels than we could ever imagine. And we don't have time to take care of that, like all of our full time work and figure out what disinformation sites are, you know, are, are popping up every day. That just that's just impossible for most marketers. I would I would say nearly all marketers. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In addition... I've, I've seen that ad tech vendors have spent a lot of their own efforts and time into convincing marketers that they have things taken care of. So just looking at their own marketing materials, and I'm talking about sort of the advertising supply chain, the entire ad tech ecosystem that supports marketers has told them and has convinced marketers that they have ensured that their ads are safe when they place them on the internet to encourage them to place even more ads. And what I found as someone who has been working as an activist in the space is that that is not true. I have so many times because, you know, I work in marketing, I also like to shop and I also research disinformation. I, you know, I'll go on a disinfo site and I'll see, you know, a shoe brand that um, otherwise seems really cool <laughs> and they're, you know, very into sustainability and, and they, you know, they've obviously put in a lot of effort into developing their marketing campaigns, but they're appearing on a disinformation site. So it usually ends up being me who emails, you know, that vendor, the third party vendor to let them know that they have this bad faith publisher in their inventory so that knowledge is something that I've gained over nearly four years of working in this space. But no, the average marketer, there's no way for them to know what I know. It seems to be fed on by this passion that we have in industry today for volume and reach at all costs, right? Have you found to be an activist in that world to be particularly challenging? I would say that my work and my message is in direct opposition to what the ad tech ecosystem is selling to, uh, to marketers around the world. The ad tech ecosystem has convinced marketers that the best way to, to grow their business is by spending more money, buying more impressions, getting more clicks and conversions as a result. But what they aren't talking about is the fact that that is only one facet of marketing. That's not what branding really is. To develop a brand, you need to be thinking beyond just those sort of vanity metrics. You need to be thinking about what makes your customers trust you, what makes them tick, what what do they care about that you can align with. And those are sort of the bigger picture questions and and issues that I'm trying to bring up with marketers in my work because I want them to start thinking about how they can branch out and away from that dependence on advertising and that need for volume and and impressions and scale as you mentioned and start thinking about their brand as a whole because I think once you do that you will automatically find yourself developing a much more effective and long-term marketing strategy. I mean, I think that fits in, you know, well with what we we tell our clients, which is that actually effective marketing isn't just about the ad appearing to the to the right person. It's also got to be in the right place. So context is is extremely important. And I think there's another aspect to it as well, which is 
probably more nuanced in the digital world, which is that advertisers do need to be aware of all the risks that can come with digital marketing. And it's their obligation, really. There are so many more things that marketing teams need to think about now, which is why we see quite a few clients taking on media specialists within their own organisations now, just to, I think, partly get their, their heads around the complexity of it. So tell us a bit more about some of the campaigns that you've been you've been involved in. And I think we probably need to hear your views on Stop Hate for Profit as well, Nandini. Sure. So for us, for at Sleeping Giants, our methodology, our MO has always been the same. We present you with information and then we ask you what you're going to do about it. So when we first started our very first campaign against Breitbart, we presented a screenshot of, you know, the brand's ad on Breitbart, usually against sort of a horrific headline. And then we asked brands whether they would use this as an opportunity to exclude this website from their media buy, or whether they'd continue to support this type of rhetoric. And in this process, we have encouraged successfully advertisers to leave hateful websites, hateful TV anchors. Uh, We've encouraged payment processors to drop neo-Nazi groups, white supremacists. We've done the same for e-commerce companies, social media platforms, the list goes on. And we've done this in such a way that we've been seeing wins every, you know, sometimes every day, sometimes every few days, sometimes they're really big wins. But this has been a slow roll since 2016. So we've kind of created this sense, we've, cre- we've created a new narrative in the world, especially among consumers, that if you present information to a company on social media, they have to respond. Like there's really no way out of that. So that's kind of what you have to understand to understand what is happening with the Stop Hate for Profit Facebook ad boycott campaign. So that's the culmination of four years worth of work where we have taught consumers on the ground, what it takes, what they have to do to get companies to act. So with the Facebook ad boycott in particular, well, first of all, it's really our first boycott, I would say our first official boycott. And we know that Facebook users are not the customer here when it comes to that relationship between Facebook, the company and Facebook users. We know that the, the customer, of course, is the advertiser. So what we've done is we're asking consumers to put pressure on the advertiser so that the advertisers feel under pressure enough to pressure Facebook to change its policies. And that sort of like layered and sort of nuanced work is something that was only possible because of the last four years where advertisers really understand, you know, if we don't say something Consumers will understand. Consumers do understand that we're just part of the problem. And that's why we need to not only respond to them, but we need to speak up on our own, assert our values, and you know, take that extra step to demand Facebook change its policies and be more responsible in the way that it, it addresses issues on their platform. It's actually interesting that some of our own research is joint work, actually, Kantar and Oxford, looking at more broadly, we're looking at cross-media effectiveness. But as part of that, we looked at this effect of removing a media channel and trying to understand the consequences of removing a channel like Facebook. And what we saw was that this 
activism on then on the part of the brands did bear consequence to the brand. It was a costly activity to them. It wasn't meaningless and not just for show. So they would either bear a reduction in effectiveness and efficiency in their marketing, or they would have to consequently spend more money to get the same previous levels of lift that they would have experienced just because of the massive interplay between Facebook and all the other channels. And in reality, all channels along with all of the channels combined to give you your outcome. So this did an effect on Facebook, but it also, it is a meaningful statement from the brands because they're not doing it cheaply, so to speak. One additional thing that I wanted to ask, as you, you were mentioning this incredible story of actually a transformation of consumers from 2016 to 2020 and how they interact with brands or how, what they expect and a little bit about their understanding. Do you think that activism in a way has become a component of consumption that people actually are using ever more now brands as a way to communicate something about themselves and their preferences? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say that for the past few years, consumers have been using social media as a way to broadcast the type of brands that they want to be associated with and to better understand what kind of brands they should be buying from. Actually, just the other day, I came across a tweet from someone who said, you know, hey guys, where should I buy my, my basic t-shirts now that I can't shop at Everlane? And it was clear that that person was referring to Everlane taking an anti-union stance among its, its employees in the U.S. And that was uh, sort of a deal breaker for that Twitter user. And so people responded with the brands that they shop from. But that kind of thing is happening across the board. I mean, it's not just on Twitter. It's not just like a single demographic. I would say that that, that effect is even greater among Gen Z, you know, younger folks who really understand that they're limited budgets are really either going to contribute to making the world a better place or making it a worse place. Yeah, and we know from our brand Z data actually that, you know, brands that do have a defined and clear sense of purpose, which, you know, includes activism and, you know, standing up for their consumers and taking their consumer sides actually do have a greater brand value. So it serves brands well to not only respond to those, but also to take a stance and have a position in society or on politics or whatever it is. It does come with its own risks as well, clearly, but it's definitely something I think we're, we're going to see more of. So Nandini, tell us a little bit more about your new service, which I believe you've just launched, which is called Check My Ads. What, what are you asking advertisers to do there? So Check My Ads is what I see as being the next step in brand safety after Sleeping Giants. So Sleeping Giants brought to your attention that your ads are appearing on hate and disinformation websites. But after working in this field for a few years, I've seen personally that, that this has not solved the root of the problem. The campaign, while it brought attention to the problem, hasn't really provided a solution. And I think the solution is a lot more complex than just excluding random websites that social media users flag up for you. That's not going to work, right? So check my ads is sort of, is that next step. So we do a couple of things. One of the things that we do is we help marketers understand 
where their ads are appearing. So something that we ask marketers to do at the end of each of our newsletters that we put out is to check your site list. Because we believe that if you just do that simple thing, just get a file of your your data from your agency or directly from your vendors and understand where your ads are going, you'll be able to see that your ads are by default appearing on dozens, hundreds, possibly more uh, hate and disinformation sites. So that's like the first step. The second thing that we do is we help you understand where your ads should be going and how you should be playing your marketing strategy based on what your customers care about and how to align your marketing plan with your customers' values. So in a sense, what we're trying to do is reallocate your budget, your ad budget, from funding the bad stuff to funding the good stuff. And we encourage marketers to think about, for example, consciously and intentionally advertising on local news, because that's something that pretty much all your customers probably care about, right? Or we encourage them to think about advertising on independent voices. So this could be podcast creators, this could be newsletter writers, this could be For example, Black-owned media outlets, that's a really great choice for some of these companies that have been talking about how much they support the Black Lives Matter movement. Well, if you support the movement, then put your money where your mouth is and help support these voices and folks who are talking about the really important issues of our day. And another thing that we do is help marketers understand how the advertising tech ecosystem really works and how the decisions that we make on the ground impact society at large. That's something that we as as a group, you know, as a marketers, it's not something that we've been taught to think about. It's just not something that comes up in most of our classes or in the workplace. So an example of that is we educate marketers on keyword block lists. Keyword block lists are something that started to be used by advertisers back when, you know, when those first videos came out of terrorist beheadings and ISIS propaganda videos. So advertisers obviously didn't want to appear on sites like that. So they implemented keyword uh, block lists that, you know, would prevent them from appearing on certain types of content based on that keyword. So if that keyword, you know, whether it's something like kill or murder, then they would not appear on that content. The problem is that these block lists started to become a crutch for all things that we didn't think we wanted to appear on, and that and those lists started to expand. So a lot of block lists today include words like racism, immigrant, trans, queer, lesbian, and that actually prevents them from advertising on sites that are talking about issues that matter to trans, queer, immigrant, black, you know, and so on. So we try to help marketers understand what that impact really is. And, you know, usually it's the first time that they've heard that they're not appearing on or not funding this very important media and these very important conversations. And we help them to connect with those types of media outlets, as well as think about how to better reach your audiences from both a a macro perspective as well as 
you know, individual segments that you want to connect with. You've been listening to Future Proof. For all episodes and more information, visit Kantar.com or OxfordFutureOfMarketing.com. Please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe within your podcast app so you know when new episodes are released. Thank you.